You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 120 called Should It Stay or Should It Go? In this episode, we'll discuss some popular educational acronyms and talk about whether they still have a place in education and ed tech. We'll also share some updates on our fall and winter presentation schedule for this coming school year. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. So we are back at school. This is our first week back. Uh, we're recording on a Friday. We will probably get stopped a couple of times before we get through this episode. That's just how busy it's been. Nick, how's the beginning of your school year going? It's going really good. I'm very happy to be back in a studio face-to-face to record these. Obviously, we do it sort of virtually over the summertime, and it's always nice to be back uh, together again in the same room. And uh, it's like you said, it's just been super busy. If this recording takes us an hour, what, what do you think the average is? Somebody will come in for tech help maybe every 20 minutes while we're trying to do this? I'll take the under. Yeah. Like, <laughs> under as being under 20 minutes before someone comes in. Yeah. But that's okay. That's what we're here for, and that's what we like doing. But let's get everyone updated. Uh, we have a lot coming up and a lot going on. Uh, the first thing that I want to talk about is the Teach Better Conference, October 14th and 15th. This is in Ohio. I'm going to make the trek. I I want to go out there. I want to meet some people from Ohio. We have a lot of friends from Ohio that we've met through this podcast, so I'm pretty pretty stoked to be presenting out there. Usually Nick and I do our EdTech throwdown at conferences. It's It's a smash. It's a good time. It's a good hit. I usually win. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I might meet my match at this conference because the the great Stephanie Howe is uh, promising to take me down. So, and she might because she's uh, she's pretty clever. Yeah, that's really awesome. It's um, you know it's going to be cool for people to see you paired up with somebody else who's not me. I was going to ask, does Stephanie know what she's in for? But maybe I should ask, do you know what you're in for with Stephanie? Well, I think I just told you what I was in for. <laughs> I, I feel like you know before maybe it was a D- David versus Goliath. Now it's like uh, I'm now David, and right, and she's Goliath. There's a new Goliath, but like without the outcome. Yeah. Like, I, I'm going to struggle with this one, I think, because she just has the ability to take something ordinary and make it extraordinary. Right. Yeah, she, it's going to be fun, though. I mean, she seems obviously pretty competitive. She's going to get into it. It's going to be awesome for anyone who attends. And um, I believe they're also doing a podcast. There is Row out there, which, if you don't know, is sort of simulating Radio Row at, like, a giant event where there's a bunch of radio shows with tents. I don't know what their specifics will look like, but people kind of walk down, and one of those uh, booths will be uh, none other than, none other than uh, Eric Geis here. So that should be interesting as well. Yeah, I'm hoping to maybe uh, meet somebody out there that you know wants to be a part of uh, Podcasters Row, and maybe I'll just have them kind of be you for that. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe Stephanie will sit down. She has a podcast too, so that might be a cool collaboration there. But if not... We're going to be inviting people in to talk, uh, talk on the podcast. And I, I think we're not really sure if we're going to use them as episodes, mini episodes or whatever, but we're going to try to get those turned around and published pretty quickly. So I'm very excited about the Teach Better Conference. Make sure you go check out the Teach Better Conference over at teachbetter.com. There's still time to sign up. There's still spots available uh, to be a uh, you know an attendee there. It's definitely going to be worth it great group of people our next one is a free link spring virtual conference and this once again is a contact that we made through the podcast uh charity dodd uh it's her it's her uh group that is putting this on this is free in the show notes i'll put a link to how to become a, a virtual attendee for this conference 
uh, make sure you sign up there. Once again, it's free. It's going to be a blast. And this is where Nick gets to come back in. Uh, we made a totally different uh, EdTech throwdown. Usually we pick a topic for each uh, EdTech throwdown. Sometimes it's templates. Sometimes it's EdTech tools. Sometimes it's a combination. Sometimes it's on student-centered learning or inquiry-based learning. I don't know, UDL. We just pick a topic and then we pick tools that we like that fit that particular topic. Yeah, so that's uh, it, that is a virtual conference. I can't remember if you said that already, but it's worth saying again. So if you want to find out how to register, you can head to our show notes for episode 120 at gottech.com or just just Google Link Spring Virtual Conference. It's spelled L-I-N-C Spring. And um, that should be a good one, too. And I think we'll wrap up our updates just by shouting out our uh, our friend Kyle Nemus, uh, whose name you've heard a lot if you're a listener of our show. He's a former teacher and ed tech coach, but he's, he left the profession this year to work for a company that most of you have heard of called Quizzes. And um, it's just been a while since we've uh, talked about Kyle and mentioned him. We want to th- throw that out there. And, and I know, you know, for me personally, Quizzes has been one of my new discoveries, not that they are new, but I used it recently for a PD that we ran over the summer. And uh, I got to say, it's an awesome, awesome tool. There's, of course, tons of these, you know, gaming platforms out there for teachers. And they've been around for a while now. So we're starting to see a lot of them rise to the top where the less popular ones are going to die out and the, and the better ones are going to last and, and grow. And I'm pretty sure, at least for me, man, Quizzes is going to be one of the ones that, that last for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a staple. I don't know if you remember, but the last two years, that was my EdTech Madness Final Four champion right. uh, pick. They got upset last minute this year. I still think there was some trickery there. Uh, but anyway, I will say that I, I have always used Quizzes when it came to professional development. See, actually, it was one of the tools that I used in my dissertation. Uh, I'm very happy with quizzes. I think they stay current. They stay relevant. Uh, it's a very simplistic assessment tool to use. And I like how they're making new different question types all the time. Uh, I just played around with the match one. It was actually on their website. Uh, it was a chemistry match where they matched a picture of a substance to the chemical formula so you would you would probably like that but uh, it just makes uh, asking questions and, and taking a quiz not as intimidating a little bit more fun so I, I love quizzes for a formative assessment for for students to practice uh, putting in motion what they've learned and seeing if they've mastered that content and maybe identifying different misconceptions within the content so check out quizzes check out kyle nemus at kyle nemus and uh we wish him all the all the luck in the world and hope that transition is a smooth one for him this podcast is a proud member of the teach better podcast network better today better tomorrow and the podcast to get you there explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com now let's get back to the episode yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about this episode and what you guys are going to hear. So we're going to, you know, we have a slightly different format here today. You're going to hear two more different segments, the first of which is going to be us going through some, they're not all acronyms, most of them have acronyms that uh, might be familiar to you, but these are really just, you know, popular, we'll call it like educational pop culture methodologies. So these are the, the things that you hear from year to year, like here's the new best practice teaching method that teachers are using across the country. And if you're in education, you know that there's a ton of these things. So we're going to throw out a list of common ones and we're going to do a very quick back and forth about should they stay or should they go? Yeah, I think we should start by grouping a couple of these BLs. Uh, And I'm not talking blended learning. I'm just talking acronyms that have BL at the end. For example, problem project-based learning. Uh, where typically you have some type of a narrative and you have some type of a task and students have to work through it at their own pace or with the guidance of some uh, teacher resources or something like that and solve a problem or develop a solution or create a project that they will present later on. Uh, Case-based learning, that's another BL, which is you you give uh, a narrative 
you give the students data to work through, and then from that data, they draw conclusions and maybe even uh, create a solution for that. GBL, which is game-based learning, and we've we've talked about this recently, and that is just using game elements to, to teach content within your class. And uh, I'm even going to go one more. Why not? And that's uh, UDL, Universal Design for Learning. And that's basically uh, everyone learns differently. So we want to give students choice to learn the best way that fits them. So maybe you give them a choice board and they, they come up with, a, you know, they get to choose one out of two or three options of how they want to learn. So all these right here, they all fit under this uh, big umbrella of blended learning. Right. And that's why, so I guess, I mean, we can, we can just get straight into it then in terms of should it stay or should it go? This is kind of like our, our bread and butter, right? Like our whole ed tech world of podcasting and presenting and these four things, it's essentially all we talk about. I mean, games in the classroom, choice in the classroom with UDL. Um, we don't do a whole lot of case-based stuff, but we do mention it from time to time in one form or another. So I have kind of a, a weird reaction to this that piggybacks off of what you just said, and that is these things absolutely have to stay. I think this is the, you know, if this was 10 years ago, I would have said these are the future of education or even 20 years ago when a lot of these probably first were developed. But, um, you know, they are what education is. And I think we're, where it's going to stay, right? Like problem-based, project-based learning. That's huge. That's how a lot of teachers are doing stuff. And if you're not, you should give it a look because it really makes things way better. Um, and you can say the same for, for all of these tools. So should they stay? Absolutely. But what I don't like is how many different titles there are. I think that turns people off. Teachers get sick of all these acronyms because it's just a lot, honestly, to process and keep straight. So I wish there was a way to sort of, you know, the part that's going to go is just the different names of all these things. And can we just somehow build them into our understanding of blended and personalized learning? Yeah, I totally agree with you. One thing that all these have in common, with the exception of maybe UDL, because UDL is just more of a mindset, I, I feel. It's it's more of a mindset, but problem, project-based learning, case-based learning, game-based learning, these all have something to do with narrative. There's a narrative for each one of them. You're setting this, like you're telling the setting and the problem at the very beginning, so there's a narrative there, and then they're given some type of a, a assignment or something to solve or something like that. So for me... I mean, we have blended learning or personalized learning as the big umbrella term, but really all these are narrative-based. So narrative-based learning is kind of fits all these. And what makes them different underneath that spoke of narrative-based learning is really what makes these acronyms. For example, case-based learning, data. Project-based learning, you're coming up with a solution. Um, problem-based learning. I mean, you're coming up with a solution. Project-based learning, they're coming up with something that they're going to present. So there's a, there's one little difference in each one of these. So, But the, the thing that's similar is they all require narrative in order to get them going. Yeah. And we are at the, you know, when this segment is finished up, we're going to do a, just a quick sort of like an ed tech showcase or an ed tech roundtable and throw out some ed tech tools to fit with what our show typically is. But as we go, through these, um, if anything pops into our heads, we're definitely going to share out some resources we know about. One of those for case-based learning in particular um, is the University of Buffalo's website. And I, I can't give you the specific URL because we didn't check it out uh, in advance of this to give the exact details, but we'll have it in the show notes and, or, you know, just give it a Google. But the, for whatever reason, the University of Buffalo is one of the leaders of writing these cases, as they're called. And if you're unfamiliar, a case is just like the background story that a student reads through. Uh, sometimes it's written like a play. Sometimes it's just a, a story that they read. And then based on that, it kind of leads them into some questions and some some learning. And they have a huge, huge, awesome, awesome database of these things. So if you're interested in trying something new and you haven't taught with a case before, you should check out the University of Buffalo website for sure. 
Yeah, the National Center for Case Study Teaching and Science. There you go. There you go. And that, that once again, is through Buffalo. I'm going to link that into the show notes as uh, we speak. It will be there. Um, another awesome tool, especially in the sciences, but you can – this is kind of cross-curricular, too, because you can find – other content areas within the science and that is called data nuggets and i use data nuggets all the time to for pbl for case-based learning i'm going to probably put it under the pbl uh, tab here but what they do is they give you real data and it allows teachers to use that real data to incorporate it into your classroom so you could go on there and they actually have learning resources there that teachers just can print out and use. And they're pretty interesting, pretty exciting. Another one is BioInteractive. Uh, BioInteractive is another one that is amazing. Yes, it's mostly for the sciences, but there are some really, really cool things uh, that could be cross-curricular as well. All right. So our second acronym or educational method, methodology, whatever you want to call it, is the the ever popular, mostly for science teachers, but, you know, it's expanded as well. I'm talking about CER, Claims Evidence Reasoning. Depends on how you interpret this, what exactly it is. I talk about it more as like a a writing style for, you know, that students can use to, to enhance their scientific writing. But you can really build a whole lesson around this as well. The idea being when a student writes scientifically, they should answer in this format of CER. They begin with a claim, which is the answer to the question. And then after that, they provide their evidence to support that claim. Reasoning, of course, is the explanation. You know, I'm going to say, let's, I'm ready to toss this. And I'm sure you're going to disagree with me, but hear me out. I want to get rid of CER because to me it's just so it's so common sense and maybe that's maybe that's like why we need it but like this is just how you write in general. I don't even think this belongs necessarily in science classes but anytime you're trying to make a point or, or convince someone of something this is what you do. You give your point, you back it up with some evidence and then you explain how that evidence fits. So I just don't like like when kids today hear CER there's just this you know, resounding, uh, you know, series of groans that goes across the whole room because they don't like to do it. They think they're in the middle of something arduous. I almost think if we took the acronym away, uh, you might be able to teach the same thing, but get rid of some of that angst that goes along with it. So I like it. I'm just not crazy about the use of the acronym. I'm going to say something that I've never said before, and that's you're so right. Okay. <laughs> well, but I'm going to follow it with, but you're so wrong. Okay. Now, you're right that everyone... This is something that goes across all content areas. Everyone can use it. And that's the reason why it should stay. And I will tell you this. Maybe the name needs a switch. I don't know. I'm not really big into names and titles and all that. But what I'm saying is we teach students processes that are simplified so they are able to make something that is justified, backed up with facts and all that. And I think that CERs do exactly that. This isn't just a, a learning style, it's a writing style. And if you can do a CER, you can write in paragraph form with, with a topic statement, like you have your main idea, you have analysis. I mean, you have your evidence, you have analysis, and then you have a linkage. That's basically what it is. It's meal sure. plan writing. Yep. Main idea, evidence, analysis, and linkage. And if this teaches students how to write uh, with a justified statement, meaning it's backed up by evidence, I'm all for it. And I think that's why it needs to stay. Now, if you could come up with a better way of getting these same components in a student's answer or in their writing or whatever they're doing, I'd be for getting rid of CER because I, I agree. You're so right here that students are kind of like, all right, today you got to do a book report. And they're just like, Ugh. and and that, that I do understand. But I feel like that goes away as the school year goes on because they realize that part of the uh moment is them getting up to speed with the process. And once they learn it, they realize it's, it's a really easy way of thinking. And I think they actually enjoy it later on. And once again, the CER 
is influenced by a narrative. If you don't have a narrative or if the narrative is boring, they're not going to be into it. If the narrative is good, the assignment or the practice will be good. So that's just something to go there. Uh, let's get into our next one, uh, which is micro learning. This is kind of jargon to me. Micro learning, we've been doing this ever since I was in school. My teachers did it. Micro learning is learning in little bits and chunks. And I will tell you, any teacher that did not do micro learning along my experience uh, lost me. I have the attention span of a fourth grader. It's always been like that. Uh, once you start talking too much, I'm looking out the window. I'm counting the number of little dots on the ceiling panels. You know, I'm all over the place. So micro learning is a form of space repetition uh, in lessons, which are broken up into bite-sized chunks. So we have our unit. We make lessons. We make lessons based on these content points or curriculum points, the main ideas of that unit all the time. When we plan, it's usually backwards design. So we, we want to, we start with our end goal and then we figure out how to chunk it or how to put it in small micro learning tidbits. So these bite-sized chunks and how we can have them repetitively practice that throughout the unit until they show that they have mastered this content. I'm good tossing micro learning and just saying, hey, this is just something that we do because I, I really feel like this is something we do as teachers and we've done this for a long time. Let's get rid of the term. I agree with you fully here. It's like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I've just been doing people would just do that and I just do that naturally. Maybe as a chemistry teacher, it, it, it comes a little bit more naturally because that's kind of how you have to teach is these little snippets. Um, and it, maybe it doesn't go that way so naturally for everyone, but yeah, this is just, uh, this is just good practice. I don't know if we need a name for that one, but it's definitely worth talking about as, as a method for sure. I will, I'll kick into the next one then if you don't mind. Boy, is this an interesting one. The PLC, Professional Learning Community. Chances are pretty good if you're a, an educator in 2022 or have been at any point in the last, I don't know, maybe decade. You've, you've heard this and been involved in these so all of these I'm noticing are, are so interesting. There's always nuggets of, of goodness here. I mean, the idea behind a PLC is kind of just meeting with your colleagues and planning and getting data to show that you are doing something productive. But um, at least my experience is that the, the downside of a PLC is when you're forced to do it. That's kind of how it happens here. You're put in these teams, sometimes assigned into teams that you didn't pick. And um, you have a specific period of time during the day that doesn't always work super well. It kind of turns into a chore. So what should be a really awesome thing can get lost on people. It sounds like I'm putting it down, but I'm going to circle back and say, this is one you got to keep because there is nothing better than talking to your colleagues and seeing what they're doing and using it and working together and modifying it. And that's where the, the coolest stuff comes from. So while the implementation of a PLC, I think, can can fall short. And part of that side note, I just think is there is no good way to do it. So I'm not I'm not bashing the administration of these things. But, um, you know, it's at its heart. This is a keeper for me. Once again. Uh, I'm going to disagree. All right. <laughs> uh, I think PLCs labeling something that is saying teachers are going to work together and force them to work together in some cases, I think is absolute rubbish. It's part of the problem. Uh, PLCs, if you look at the earlier literature on it, they were made to give teachers freedom to explore passion projects in teaching, collaboration and stuff like that. And to have to break this down, and I, I think it's just another way of paper pushing. I don't, as a professional, I don't need to go through a SMART goal. I don't need to write down all this stuff. I am perfectly capable of sitting with another professional and saying, hey, this unit is trash. This is our weakest unit that we teach in our grade level. The scores reflect that. What can we do to fix it? And then just go fix it. Go find ways to fix it. I don't want to go through these hoops. We have enough hoops in education. All right. Since we started, 
Well, you 14 years ago, me 17, 18 years ago. Since we've started, we get more hoops that we have to jump through. Me, I don't want any more hoops. I want less hoops. I want me to be treated like a professional. And I want me to be able to, like, I'm not, this isn't anything too our school this isn't that's not I'm, I'm taking everything i know about plcs across people that i've talked to and i'm throwing it into one opinion less structure during this plc time is more beneficial let the teachers figure out what need to get done and let them find the way or the process that they're going to use to get it done it doesn't need to be tracked you don't need to hand in evidence that you're doing it because most times we're doing it on the fly. It's not synchronous. It's asynchronous. Hey, Nick, I have an idea. Boom, boom. Nick's off next period. He took that idea. He ran with it. Yo, guys, here's what I did. What do you think? Sometimes it's like that. We don't need to document that. That's taking away from the creative process. You don't need to document it. And I think you're, you're kind of saying what I'm saying. When you're forced, when you know it's Tuesday at 9 o'clock, that's our PLC time. That Oh, right now, now we have to sit down and do our collaboration. That's what kills it. It's the, it's the structure because then it becomes a chore, becomes a hoop, like you said. Um, so I, I agree with you fully. I just think, you know, I do like it at its heart as a PLC, but I totally get what you're saying. And side note, we didn't put SMART goal as an acronym on this list, but if we had, it's got to go because I like PLCs. I don't like having to define your goals within this SMART goal framework. Yeah, that structure is just terrible. The whole structure of the PLC with SMART goals and all that stuff, terrible. Get rid of it. Be gone, SMART goals. Uh, I will say this. The other component of this that we haven't talked about is the stress level of teachers all right if teachers on tuesday at nine o'clock when they're supposed to have their plc if all they're thinking about is something that is due at the end of the day like grading or something like that and they're forced to go sit in a plc for a half an hour or an hour or whatever the time may be it's not going to be productive so if the two or three teachers in this plc are like hey you know, we all need time to go do this, but guess what? We can sit down and have a sandwich at lunch and kind of catch up. Um, that freedom means a lot. It's, it's all about being uh, treated as a professional. You have to, as an administrator, I feel like you have to have faith in your staff enough that they're going to be working to better their craft. And whenever they decide to do that and with whomever they decide to do that, yeah, I, I think we just have to go there. I'll, I'll close it by saying it this way. You can't schedule creativity. You can't tell me Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock is when I will guaranteed be ready to sit down and come up with great ideas and work super hard. It just doesn't go that way. So you got to trust that it's happening like you just uh, expertly explained. So that's our take on, on PLCs. Let's get into the next one, which is kind of a no-brainer to me. We're talking STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And we'll extend that to, you know, the maybe gaining in popularity. I'm not quite sure. STEAM, where you throw art into there. That's the A. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah, this is a huge component of the modern world and kids need to be engaged in it more. I'm going to go one further. If we're trying to decide between should it stay or should it go, I'm going to put a new notch above should it stay, and that is it should be more prevalent. I think a lot of people and students and parents and even teachers say that when a student is in a science class, they're in a STEM class. And I don't think that's true because most science and math courses do not include that engineering piece, not to their fault, just due to time and training and everything else. But I think that should be more of a focus. So this one is uh, super huge to me, and um, I'm sticking with it. Yeah, so STEM versus STEAM is really a debate in itself. And this, this, believe it or not, is a very heated debate at times. So STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. All right, that's one. Uh, the A is art, the arts. All right. Really, that's not saying how well you could draw a caricature or something like that. The arts is, are the humanities. Uh, 
Right? For me, in STEM, you you have the humanities already. All right. So really, I believe STEAM is kind of just um, recognizing that as one of the core pieces. But I think the the arts, the humanities, that's all built into STEM. It's it's kind. You need that. You need to be able to read, comprehend, make decisions, be creative. All that stuff has to come into the STEM process. Uh, now, STEM is more sciencey and data driven and. and and things like that. And uh, we could go into hard and soft skills and all that. But STEM focuses on the hard scientific, technological, engineering, mathematical skills to drive progress or create new concepts or solutions. Where STEAM uh, is really how the students leverage those hard and soft skills to solve problems. So are you, is it a stay or is it a go for you? To me... I feel like they're kind of the same thing. It's yeah. just one is steam is making sure that I don't know. I, I almost feel like in STEM, the arts and humanities is applied. It, it It's known to be there versus the steam. It's glorifying the, the arts and humanities. So to me, I don't care. Uh, I, to me, I treat them both the same way. It's just another letter. It's another thing to memorize. But to to give our colleagues in the humanities and arts, you know, the props, the importance that is due. If they want to give steam, I'm all for it. I, I, I'm all about equal opportunity here and equal recognition. And the humanities and arts are a big, huge driver of creativity. And, you know, that's where I land. I land in the creative space. So... Go with STEAM, include everybody, um, just make sure that you know the difference that, you know, with STEM, it's driven by the science, the science and the mathematics, the data, that, that stuff is the hard um, backbone of this, where, where the arts and the humanities is, is kind of how we get a quality product or solution out to everybody else. All right. That's a good way to summarize it for sure. And I, I agree with you on that one. Let's talk VR, AR, virtual and augmented reality. Um, between the two, I'm, I kind of prefer the augmented reality just because it's simpler and you can do it with things that people have like an app on your phone that will sort of overlay your environment with some cool stuff. But in general, a lot of this, at least now as it is in 2022, for me, the, these things tend to be a little gimmicky. It can be cool, but the you know the risk versus reward here is not where it needs to be yet for me to devote time to this. And what I mean is the amount of effort I have to put into figuring out what tools to use, especially VR, because you're talking about purchasing probably headsets of some sort. And if you're not, then some complicated workaround uh, to not having the official headsets is just a lot for the payoff of a day or two maybe that's going to make a student say, wow, that was really cool. Um, but for the most part, I don't know how much learning is coming from these things yet. So for me, should it stay? Should it go? For now, I'm going to let it go. And I'm not going to pay attention to this until it becomes a little easier to access and there's uh, maybe a dedicated place in schools where this can take place. But I'm not sold. I struggle with this one, but I'm going to agree okay. to disagree. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna agree to disagree. Uh, the the part that I do agree with is the gimmicky part, the expensive part, the fact that every time you buy a headset, two months later another headset update comes out. Right. I wish a company would just allow people to purchase a headset and maybe just pay a lesser fee for the update every once in a while. Uh, but I will say this. Think about your early childhood education, all right? your high school experience through kindergarten. Are there specific things that you did during that time that stood out to you? Are there specific lessons? I know for me, we had Native American uh, community member come in and he showed us how to powwow and, and dance and, and how to beat the drum and things like that. That stuck out to me. That was an experience. I don't remember any of the other lessons about Native Americans. Um, 
or anything that would fit into that in any other grade other than fifth grade when Mr. Wampler came in and uh, showed us all this stuff. Mine was the inflatable planetarium. They brought it into the gym, they blew it up, and we all went inside and they projected like a planetarium on the thing. So you remember that, though? I do, yeah. So that's a gimmicky type thing, too. We have a planetarium here. I haven't seen it in 10 years, but I, when I was a science teacher, I used to go in there and display the cell on the inside of that thing. And kids always talked about it. What is one of their favorite activities? It's that. So do you want to get rid of this AR VR if that's one of those things that the kids talk about 20 years from now? That was one of the coolest lessons we've ever done. So to me, it's got to stay just for that reason. But once again, it has to be more universal in the content that can be accessed through that. We need to be able to use them more than just one lesson. Otherwise, the cost is ineffective. So that needs to be figured out. And I think it is because we are now able to use our cell phones for some of the um, augmented realities things. That would be cool because everyone has a cell phone. We can use a couple free apps to do that. The headsets, they're super cool. They will provide a great experience, but until they become more affordable for most people, it's going to be out just because of that limiting factor. Yeah. Or like most things that someone will put a ton of time and get a grant to buy the headsets and use them and then they'll, they'll sit in a room like uh, so many of this stuff. But, again, we're kind of saying the same thing different ways. We're just going to wait it out and use what we can while we can relate it to these two. Um, this next one is uh, affectionately called BYOD, Bring Your Own Device. To me, this is another – I'm going to say this, this goes because my feeling on devices, at least at the high school level, is just, just let them in. Man, this is, this is the world. Kids have cell phones. They need to learn how to use them. So a dedicated thing where they bring their devices on this day, I just don't think it applies anymore. And we're seeing that change, uh, at least for us in New Jersey, teaching at a high school. Lower grades, honestly, I couldn't even tell you. I'm just not super familiar. But uh, this one is deserves to be fully gone as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, especially with, with uh, the pandemic, everyone pretty much went to a one-to-one device. Right. Now, I know that there are schools that don't have that, uh, and that's part of the you know, technology divide. Not everything is equal. Uh, I think we need to make sure students have devices. So uh, when it, the BYOD part, we don't need the acronym anymore, but we need to make sure technology is in the hands of everyone. We need to keep developing those programs that's going to uh, close that technological divide. So I will just say that I want everyone to have a device. I want everyone to have that powerful resource in their classroom. And I think our energy should just be on how we can get everyone caught up to speed. So BYOD sounds like, uh, you know, something that we don't need as far as a program anymore. We just need to make sure the goal is being met. So let's just go into our next one, which is e-learning. E-learning is going to, I mean, it's part of blended learning. To me, it's an outdated term. Blended learning covers it. It's part of it. I could do without it. Yep. Let's lose e-learning and just make it, not lose it. We're just saying, why do we need it? Because blended learning covers that thing. The next one on our list being edutainment. There's a little bit more to talk about here. And you could define this a lot of different ways. One thing I found online said the act of learning through a medium that educates and entertains. So, you know, that, that sounds great. And if you're going to use a tool like ClassHook that we've talked about before, uh, ClassHook is uh, a site that finds clips from pop culture like movies and TV uh, that will teach things or that you can use as a hook to a lesson. That I'm a huge fan of. And should it stay? Yes. Where edutainment gets dangerous is when you're talking about a show on like, I don't know, the Discovery Channel or National Geographic that you kind of feel like you're getting good information and, and learning some stuff, but it's so glossed over and it's so more towards the entertainment side that you're not really learning that much anyway. I just think that gets kind of dangerous for people because it can give you this false sense of, oh, I watched the, you know, the Discovery Channel show on topic x 
I'm an expert now. And you're really not because you just got like these these key points without really fully deeply understanding it. And there's there's some danger there when you're talking about learning in a classroom. So so I don't know. I'm I'm sure you're gonna disagree and say that there's a place for that. And and you might be able to convince me, but there's some stuff to be concerned with for sure. Yeah, I mean you can't teach a full course just watching videos right. or documentaries and stuff like that. You have to have teachable moments. I think edutainment is part of a curriculum in little pieces. Uh, it's a it's just a way that a resource could be used. I don't feel like it's a way that you teach. I, I feel like it's a resource. Like a YouTube video could be edutainment. It's not the way that you teach it. So I'm okay with that one leaving. Class Hook was a great mention there. I do like Class Hook. Uh, the last one I kind of put in there. It might be a thing. I don't know. It's my thing. It's your thing. Yeah. Creation-based learning. Creation-based learning is when students are content creators and they're publishing things. I've said this before. A lot of times, teachers are guilty of assigning something. They work on it for a week or two, a big project. I'm not talking the formative stuff. I'm talking about a big project. They grade it, and then it goes and dies. Let it live. I mean, creation-based learning. Have them be authors. Put it on a website. It could be a Google site that's just closed to your school and environment. But have them put it out there where other people can see it. All right. Not for nothing. It is a pressure in today's society. People get anxious when they put stuff out on the web. All right. So we need to get them ready for it. It is our duty as teachers to prepare them for the world tomorrow. And this is going to be part of the world tomorrow. And surprisingly enough, most of our students are content creators already. They do the TikToks. They do the Insta stories or Instagram feeds or, you know, all that stuff. Facebook stories. I don't, I can't keep them all, you know, apart. Yeah. <laughs> but they're already doing it. So let's make it educational and pull it into a spot where they could publish it and everyone can see it. Yeah. I mean, we don't know, like you just said, if creation-based learning is a thing. If it's not, we just copyrighted it right now because we typed it down on a piece of paper. So uh, it exists now. And I'm saying keep it because everything you just talked about is super important. And that's our list. That was, I mean, we've got it as 10, but there's a bunch of stuff in there. Take it, you know, with a grain of salt. These are just our thoughts, but hopefully you got something out of this and a couple ed tech tools. Speaking of ed tech tools, we're going to wrap it up today with some a little bit more you know, uh, familiar content. If you're a Got Tech listener, I'm talking about an EdTech showcase where we'll actually share some new tools with you. We've got six of them, so we're keeping it short. And um, if you don't mind, I'll kick it off. One of mine is called Wow Two, W O W T O. Um, wow Two is similar to um, other ones we've talked about before, like IORAD. And I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Tango is another one. So there's a bunch more. All of these, uh, Wow2 included, will be tutorial creators, how-to video creators, right? Uh, some of those other ones are geared more towards like a how-to guide. Uh, Wow2 is specifically uh, the video aspect of it. So it creates support training and educational videos uh, that your viewers can listen in their preferred language. So that's sort of a neat spin on this thing. Um, this is a really awesome tool that is very, very easy to use, especially for your non-video, non-like content creator people. You don't need any sort of technical knowledge. And, um, you know, they gear it specifically towards a, a how-to video. Uh, and it's tough to explain what it's going to look like. So I'm going to say if you're doing this and you want a tool, head to wow2.ai to see what I mean. It's just a really neat platform. One of the cool things they do is there's a built-in AI voiceover feature uh, that will do the talking for you so you don't have to sit there and actually record your voice. Uh, they claim it's lifelike. I can't verify that. And I've heard some of these AI voiceovers. They usually don't sound super lifelike, but you never know. They might have a super good one. And um, the cool part is when you have to update your how-to videos, you do not have to create the entire thing from scratch. It's all broken up into uh, like segments. So you can just edit out the particular step that has changed. Wow2 is is really neat, and I've I'm, I've not used it because I just learned about it, but it's something I'm going to be investigating for sure. So check out wow2.ai. 
AI. Yeah, Wow2 is a great one. It will be coming to my Tick Bundle, right? Yep. Yeah, we're going to have that up on our website if you want to try it for free for a, a couple months and get a feel for it. All right. So I'm going to do mine, and I just used this last week. My inbox is a mess. My Gmail is a mess. I'm subscribed to almost every tech letter that I that I <laughs> find because I, I find value in a lot of them, even if it's just one little bit. Uh, so I think I have over 140 different newsletters that I'm subscribed to. Some of them I don't even know what they are anymore. So what I did is I went on to my iPhone, and they also have this for Android. And it's called Unroll Me. And what it does is it connects to my Gmail and then it looks through all the things that I'm subscribed to. And it gives me the option to keep it as is, where I keep getting these newsletters in my actual mailbox. Or it allows me to roll it. So basically, things that I might want to check out, but I don't always check out. Instead of sitting in my inbox, what it does is it will make one email at the end of the day. And it will put all those newsletters into that one email in a list. And then I could click it and open up that newsletter from that one email. Or I could get rid of it and just unsubscribe to it. And it will unsubscribe for me. This is amazing. Unroll me. Awesome. Yeah, I've been playing the unsubscribe game for the past couple weeks to try and limit what I'm getting. And it's it's a slog. So I'm going to check out Unroll Me. My second one is called fontspace.com. It doesn't need much explanation, but it's a really good one. Um, if you want some new creative fonts and you're not sure how to safely download them, you can find lots of these online, but you get tons of ads with them and you're never quite sure, you know, what you're getting is safe and not going to infect your computer. And, and font space is a pretty clean cut, easy ad free, at least for now, way to get some cool fonts. So it's, it's nothing more than that, but it's one of my favorites, fontspace.com. Check that one out. All right. My next one is called Note. K-N-O-W-T. And this is like one of my favorite ways for students to do their flashcards. I know you could do it on Quizlet, but I like Note way better. Uh, so note cards, make them interactive. There are already sets there that students and teachers can access. You can make your own. They can make their own. Go check out Note at note.io. K-N-O-W-T dot I-O. Check them out. Note cards. Better version, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm not a huge note cards guy as far as learning goes. Never was. But if you're into it, this is a definitely a very cool tech-based way to do it. My last tool uh, that I'll share today is called Pixton. P-I-X-T-O-N at Pixton.com. This is a pretty, this is a, a mega tool. They are very popular. They've been around for a while, but but we have not mentioned them at least in a long time. I think we may have in a, a you know, an episode a long time ago. It's hard to keep track when you're up in the hundreds of episodes level here, but you know, it's worth saying again, guys, it's just really awesome. It is a basically a comic creator. So you can give your students the the power to create these really engaging comic book storyboard looking things, kind of unleash the the potential for this creativity that a lot of kids have, but they're stopped by like, you know, the ability to to draw well, because that's something you, you may just not have innately or the the time to develop it. Um, so it's, it's great and it's so easy to use. You, you know, one of the things they like to tout is that kids can jump in and use it without any training at all. You do not have to learn it as the teacher. It's that simple. Um, much like any, uh, other ed tech tool, there's a join link where you send it out. Kids register through your class that way and they just, they just get to creating. So, you know, there's lots of other things we could get into here that Pixton does, but if you do any sort of comic book project, then I think Pixton is one of the main tools that you're going to want to check out. Is that kind of like Paltoons? It's, um, I don't know if it does the animated stuff like Paltoons will do. I think it's more static images, although don't quote me on that because I'm not familiar enough to say. Okay. Um, my last one is called unlayer.com. Unlayer.com basically is a bunch of templates that are emails. So if you want to make your emails more like we, we mentioned Canva. 
So it's kind of like that, but it will put it into email form. There's no code necessary. It's drag and drop. There's dynamic content. You have some custom file storage. Uh, you have custom tools and blocks and the undo redo capability. And this is free. You can start designing for free. So picture yourself getting an invite to a birthday party through your email. And if someone just types it, it, oftentimes it doesn't capture the attention. But now you can put like a basic birthday invitation that you would get in the mail. And it's a template. You put it right into your email. You send it out to the people that you want it to go to. So it's not really for everyday emails. It's for announcing events and or just capturing the attention. Maybe this is how the next way that administrators... Uh, don't get deleted their emails deleted right away they, they put it in some nice looking templotic is that a word templotic i'm using it that i love sounds it sounds amazing yeah let's patent that one too yeah there we go but uh unlayer.com go check it out yeah that's super cool i think you're right just to if nothing else just change up the way you're sending out emails every now and then for the important ones that are announcing events very very cool unlayer that's a good one know speaking of that's a good one that's a good episode there's a lot of stuff in here we covered tons of information we hope you enjoyed we're going to wrap it up the same way we always do reminding you to do us some favors like subscribing especially on apple uh, but you can do the same on spotify google stitcher we're on youtube if you search we got teched you'll find us we're on twitter nick got teched guys got teched we're on facebook uh, as we got teched as well um it would be really great if you've got some time to write us and throw a review down there. It helps the show out tremendously. Check out gottech.com, our official website for where lessons and show notes and videos and templates and all kinds of good stuff is posted. And lastly, we are ever uh, so happy to be part of the Teach Better Podcast Network. And you're going to want to check out their website as well to find our show along with many other amazing podcasts, and many other amazing resources as well. So thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geis and I individually at Geis Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.